When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. I'm your host, Tim Ryder from the Apple. Our guest today, we're recording on the 35th anniversary of the Mets winning the 1986 World Series. So naturally, our guest is uh, is Nick Davis, director of ESPN's four-part 30 for 30 series on the 1986 World Champion New York Mets, Once Upon a Time in Queens. Uh, If you haven't seen it yet, what the hell have you been up to? And uh, if you have seen it, watch it again because it's that good. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tim. Excited to be here. And yes, happy, uh, happy 35th anniversary. Yeah, I was three. I had just turned three a couple of weeks ago. So sadly, I don't remember it. But uh, I do remember the uh, the excitement. And I certainly remember the VHS tapes that I wore out through my childhood. Right. Good, good, good. <laughs> but um. Before we get into the Mets, I have to ask, you had another release on the same date as the 30 for 30. Um, This was in written form. It's called Competing with Idiots. And the subjects are your grandfather, uh, Herman Mankiewicz. I hope I pronounced that right. Who co-wrote Citizen Kane with Orson Welles, among a host of other credits. And your uncle, Joseph Mankiewicz, who was also a a titan in his day. Um, your father is an Academy Award-winning director. Your grandmother was a highly regarded novelist and screenwriter. Your wife's a prominent author. This is just the family business, huh? Uh, yes, I guess so. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I do think that it was kind of, yeah, it was, I never really thought about doing anything else. Um, yeah. And so it was, I mean, it's, it's a, it was a challenge to sort of, well, who am I going to be? And, and boy, nothing you do is ever going to be good enough, which was certainly the legacy of the Mankiewicz brothers, because they both felt they had a very domineering and strict father. And I know we're not here to talk about that book, but, uh, you know, their father made them feel like nothing they did could ever be good enough. Um, but uh, so th- that was a, <laughs> was a little bit of the inheritance. That's I mean, that had to be an experience. And then, like, I think, kind of as you touched on that's got to be um you know quite the plate uh quite the heaping on your plate as far as living up to the legacy maybe but boy you seem to be well on your way this uh the the project coming to fruition had to be a thrill huh yes i mean and the fact that these two projects which were both so incredibly important to me i mean i don't remember a time in my life when i was not a mankowitz and i do not remember a time in my life when i was not a mets fan and and so these two things that i've been thinking about for years decades really my whole life uh and the book itself i actually had a contract for 19 years ago and and you know but i've been i was out in hollywood in the 90s pitching a good fellas of baseball uh modeled on the 86 mets and you know didn't get anywhere with it and then um you know but we've been working on this uh documentary for over three years uh and you know it took a year to really just develop it even before we took it to market uh and then two years in the actual production um so, so it's yeah craziest uh, coincidence of all time that they landed on the exact same day <laughs> Now, um, 
I guess being of age during during the 86 run and I guess even the years leading up to it, I mean, in your mind as it's happening with your background in, in storytelling and, and, and that kind of ingrained in you, you know, were these wheels turning back then? That's a great question. I don't think they were turning consciously, but I do remember being in a game and I've actually gone to baseball reference to try and find the actual game. And I think it was July 28th, 1985. I was at Shea. Gooden was pitching against the Expos. He shut them out two nothing. Um, and the place was rocking. And at that point, I'm 20 years old and I, my, you know, I am to, uh, 69 as you are to 86. I have no real memory of it, but I'd like to think I do. Um, and I grew up in the seventies, just like, dreaming of a team that was, you know, good because we were so bad in the late seventies after the Seaver trade that the, you know, the team was in the toilet and the city was in the toilet, you know, and then the team and the city came out uh, together and, and rose from the ashes in this spectacular way. And I grew up and I read the summer, uh, you know, Boys of Summer by uh, Roger Kahn. And I always thought like, God, you know, what would it be like to have a team like that, that, that is legendary and people, you know, write books about, you know, and, and what must that, must that be like? And as it started to happen in the eighties, I, I was so thrilled. I mean, as soon as the team was sold and then Strawberry, they draft a guy named Strawberry and then they get Keith Hernandez and, and the Seaver trade and the Foster trade was sort of indications that, hey, this team means business. But, you know, once Hernandez was there and 84 happened and then this game I was at, I remember the place was rocking and and Shea could rock in a way that that. You know, City Field, as much as I, I appreciate it, it doesn't quite have that same, oh, my gosh, this thing is going to fall down. Yes, that's um, the feeling. You nailed it. <laughs> you know? and, and I remember thinking to myself, remember this, remember this feeling, because it's not going to happen again. You know, I knew that that team, now, it didn't happen in 85, but it was that same team. And, you know, sadly, it hasn't happened again. But that feeling of like, wow. I, I want to remember this feeling. I do think that that feeling, you know, all these years later became the film. Um, and, and, and sharing that feeling of excitement and danger. There was something dangerous about New York in the 80s. And there was something dangerous about that team. Um, and it just, it felt like, wow, what excitement. Like, I, I want to remember this feeling. And, you know, 35 years later, I've been able to, you know, transmit those feelings, you know, into this film that now is out in the world. And just, it, I have to say it again, it came out so well. Um, you know, before every opening day, and this is going back probably since the book was released, I, I read Jeff Perlman's The Bad Guys One. It's, it's part mm. of my ritual. It instills the magic back in me before opening day every single year. Mm. Um, and this not only like, it, it, all right, so I guess the, the essence that that book was able to, to grasp, this just caught it on and, and put it right in your face, pretty much. And, you know, these guys seem to be eager to tell the whole story. They were very forthcoming, brutally honest in some cases. Was there a lot of prying necessary? I mean, you could tell who was hesitant and who was just, you know, an open book. I think Keith Hernandez, uh, of course, you know, Lenny Dykstra, but, um, you know, was there a lot of, like I said, prying to kind of get these guys yeah. to open up? I, I think in some cases, in a couple of cases, there were guys who 
were skeptical uh, going in. They sort of were doing it out of a sense of kind of duty and, and they weren't sure they wanted to do it. And then as soon as we started talking, I think the longer they talked, the more they realized I'm not out to get anybody. You know, I think that they, they felt like, you know, enough already with the drugs and the drinking and, and like, you know, Sid Fernandez, you know, he's <laughs> like, well, that's all anyone ever wants to talk about. I'm like, that's not all I want to talk about. I want to talk about game seven. I want to talk about, you know, what it was like to be on the name to the all-star team and, you know, all kinds of things. And, and so once they saw that we were telling not just the negative, and it, it's not about negative or positive. We're telling the story, the complete story. And in my view, again, as I say, it's like it's an epic story. And it, it, it began in 77 to me. It began with the Seaver trade and the misery of that moment. And how do you get from there to top of the world, you know? And, sure. and how does that happen for the team? And then how does it happen for the city? And I think the guys who were reluctant, you know, maybe initially, uh, they, they, they came around because they saw that this was going to be the full picture. This is not, you know, and this is doing what only a film can do. You know, a book, uh, Jeff Perlman's book is fantastic. And, and look, sure. I now, we now have this companion book, which I, I think is great because it can include so many stories we just didn't have time for sure. in the documentary. But, but what a film can do is it can tell the story emotionally. And that's what we really wanted to do. And, and what, I think the guy's openness, not just openness about the facts, but openness with their own emotional stories. And in some cases, as you mentioned, like Keith and, and you know, certainly Daryl and Doc and, and, and Lenny Dykstra, you know, sure. it, it can be pretty moving stuff. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I think you hit it on the head. I mean, you have so much so many hours of footage there and to cut it down into a four part, four hour series must've been, you know, a task in between cutting for time and cutting for content. Um, you know, I know you mentioned you guys have the book out with your, uh, I'm sure quite the collection of gems that were left out. And of, of course, everybody can pick up the book anywhere you purchase books um, to search for once upon a time in Queens. Uh, it includes everything, everything. Um, our buddy Phil Curtolo on Twitter wanted to know if and when the video that got edited out is ever going to be released. Yes, I would like that. Uh, it's really, <laughs> it's out of my hands. You know, it's, it's ESPN owns the footage. Um, but I do think that I was talking to them a few weeks ago and said, like, at just some of the stories, like we don't need to because, you know, we can't pay for footage and do more music and stuff. But like you guys have the raw footage, like just just tell the Ray Knight story. Let Ray Knight tell that story about stopping Carter and Daryl from having a fight on the bus in St. Louis. It's a great story. And we just didn't have time for it, you know, and little little kind of stories. I mean, Mookie Wilson's story, and I'm, I'm sure he's told it elsewhere. It's just a great story about what he and Bill Buckner said to each other the first time they saw each other after 86. It's a you know, it's a, I mean, it, it, it's a great story. We had no room for it. Um, sure. But, you know, I'd like, I'd like, I'd like to get that out there. Sure. Oh man. The, 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 the unimaginable DVD extras of, of that would be, uh, that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. Well, let's make it happen, Tim. Oh yeah. Oh, I'll <laughs> we'll have to start knocking on that door. Uh, we're going to take a very quick break here from our sponsors and I'll uh, be right back. Hang tight. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. Uh, as noted at the top, we are with Nick Davis, director of ESPN's four-part 30 for 30 series on the 86 champion New York Mets, Once Upon a Time in Queens. Uh, we are talking, we were talking about, I guess, how it all came together, how the production side of things came together but i do wanted to kind of make a connection between those 86 mets and i guess what the current mets might be going through um the gm frank cash and you know it, he had he was of course his fingerprints were all over that team the construction of that 86 team is kind of just as much a part of the story as the the rampage that they went on that season um of course Cashin was given the reins um full autonomy and the freedom to make a lot of tough decisions over a number of years leading up to uh, building a winner. Where the Mets stand now, or I guess in any major league team stands now, or even in professional sports, do you think that level of patience from ownership and the fan base is, is a thing of the past? Do you think it could still be achieved for a team that's down in the doldrums like that? That's a great question. I don't know. I mean, and I certainly think that where the Mets are right now I think it would be very hard, you know, for, if someone came in and said, look, I'm sorry, we've missed the window on DeGrom. We're blowing it up and starting over and it's going to be four or five years. I think the fan base would have a hard time with that um, because there are too many pieces that seem close enough. And, you know, if we'd gone on a run in August, it would be us. And it, you know, I mean, it, it, it feels like we're closer than that. Um, but so I don't think the Met fan base would react well to being told what they were told in, in 1980. I mean, they didn't say it explicitly, but we knew it was going to take some time. And even when they got Foster, you felt like, all right, well, this is a sign that they're getting serious. But 1982, nobody went into 82 thinking anything other than maybe we'll play 500, uh, which they didn't. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, it's a, I think that in today's world it's hard to be patient and that's too bad uh you know i mean the teams that tank and do it i mean look at the astros you know they they went all in on being bad and collecting draft picks and it's worked out really well they've had a tremendous five-year run regardless of other oh, things sure. you may think about them. you know so um I don't, I don't know. I mean, do you think we would accept it as Mets fans if, if, 
if you know they brought someone in now and and they said you know we're blowing it up and starting over well blowing it up and starting it over is uh i mean i guess that's where kind of the situation is a little different as you were saying there is a kind of a foundation here that that is almost there this isn't a world series caliber team right now and i think everyone's well aware of that but i think the foundation that's here um is certainly a good start to getting there um i think it wouldn't have to be such a uh, a blow it up sort of situation yeah of course, i don't think know, so yeah i don't think so either and i think that the advantage that I, I think they have a lot of advantages but there's also a little bit of a of an advantage to a clean slate you know oh, sure. and and if if you know when cohen came in last year again it wasn't really a clean slate he had there are enough pieces in place where you feel like hey a little tinkering we can get this done you know yeah. at least he did say three to five years but yeah now that's two to four that, <laughs> right and that's kind of what i was like looking at where it's like well you know let's hope that's three and not five but um it takes time you know it takes time to do these things and and we of course i think and it's not even selfishly i just i think that the natural progress of things we should all expect some sort of you know progress being made through this winter and, and next season them putting a more competitive team out there i think that the the pieces are in place but you know you look back at cashin and, and his vision of team over player and mixing veteran leadership with you know youth youthful players and a boatload of pitching you know it really played out well you surround your foundation with the necessary parts required to succeed and kind of you know watch that top spin um and for yeah all the, yeah and for all like the all-star level talents up top there was a, a kevin mitchell or a danny heap or a doug sisk to kind of keep that train moving on the 86 team and i think that you know let's take dom smith for example he might not be a starter on a world series caliber team i think i talked about this on the show previously but you know there's still i think he's a a, a roster a guy on the roster on a world series caliber team you just got to find the right spot for him yeah definitely and i and that is what's sort of frustrating about this year because it did seem like a lot of the pieces were sort of in place but so many guys had bad years um yeah, oh, yeah. and 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 it was and 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 the problem is so many of the guys who had bad years were the young guys who are under team control you know it's like you know mcneil and dom like if we should keep them but you know you, it, it, their trade value is lower than ever and they're young and they're under team control and, and all that. But anyway, we, we don't need to get into that. <laughs> well, you know, uh, yeah, I agree. I agree with you. I think that the Ross, like that 86 team was so deep, you know, you had, you had such, such a bench and, you know, Tuffle and Backman and Hojo not starting and heap and, you know, good backup catchers and Mitchell who would play anywhere. And, you know, it was really, of incredibly deep roster and it's a, it kind of spoke to the vision that that it was created and i think that was done on purpose like oh we need this mix of toughness we need this mix of finesse we need this mix of speed and they just kind of put all the pieces together and it was a wonderful puzzle and i kind of see similarities between that roster and, and the current roster where it stands where hey you know you have versatility here you have talent you have proven talent look at jeff mcneil he did it for the first few years of his career dom smith had a a reasonably prolonged peak he was able to to really you know come out of his shell and you know you have the parts there um and and just kind of you mentioned it in the first half kind of encapsulating the uh the energy of the city 
And another great question from Twitter, Manny Brown, I guess he wanted to know if, do you think that there will be another team like the 86 Mets who can kind of encapsulate the city in the era like that team did? And, you know, kind of, you know, if the Mets are playing well, the city's everybody, a Mets fan has a different shine to him or shine to him, him or her at the time. It's, it's, uh, well, that, the great tragedy, the, really the great tragedy of the last 35 years, uh, tragedy is maybe a strong word, but as a Mets fan <laughs> has been the way that the team under the ownership that followed that began in November of 1986, when uh, the team became co-owned by Doubleday and Wilpon. Uh, the team sort of after that great run ended uh, with only the one championship, uh, you know, they adopted and accepted this sort of little brother thing uh, in the city. And that's that's completely historically wrong to have done. Uh, and the, and and it, it, New York City is a National League town in its genes, in its roots. You know, the Dodgers and Giants left the city. The Mets filled that void. And when they moved into Shea Stadium, they outdrew the Yankees something like 21 out of the next 29 years, except for when they were terrible in the late 70s and early 80s. It was a Mets town. And and we all remember that in the 80s. Like there was no question. The Yankees were a really good team, but the Mets were a show and and the city had a different energy because of it. And and then the rise of the great Yankee teams of the late 90s and the Mets just being run on the cheap and and being run like a second class organization and ceding the city to the Yankees. You know, we, we've sort of accepted it as Mets fans. But the fact is, getting back to your question, when the Mets win and when they were good in 2015, it felt like, wow, this is this is how it's supposed to be. Uh, and I do think that. Answering the Twitter question, I think it's possible that a team could certainly capture the heart of the city the way the 86 Mets did. I don't know that any sports team can reflect the city the way that team did (laughs) because the city was so wild and crazy and dangerous and the team was wild and crazy and dangerous. And even if the city right now can feel a little, well, dangerous and wild, I don't think a sports team in 2021 can be that wild. I think there's so much money and it's such a business that, you know, players have to behave and they're all managing their own brands and everything's on Instagram and Twitter and, and nobody wants to be the guy who, uh, you know, is, is, you know, on TMZ all the time. Uh, so, uh, so I don't know that I think you could capture the city's heart, but I don't think you could reflect the city quite the way the 86 Mets did. Right. I think, um, that 86 Mets team kind of became a product of, of the time and era and just the, of 1986. And it just, it was a perfect storm. And uh, I think we'd go the other way around. If let's say the 2022 Mets were to go on some dominating run and, and go to the world series, the city, like you were saying, they would almost um, capture the Mets would send that energy to the fans and we would kind of adapt that and, yeah, oh, it's we've seen it in 2006 to 2008. That was the Mets really making a uh, an attempt to to stifle the Yankees, and they almost got there. <laughs> you know, and a couple of times yes, they were right there. Yeah, they they were. There was something about that team that didn't quite ever gel for me. I, I mean, I, I don't know 
what it was to me the 2015 Mets were the that was the team like I felt like Harvey's arrogance was like the 86 Mets and he brought that toughness that um that I think you need in the city and that's why I'm, I'm you know knocking wood and praying they they resign Baez I feel like right. Baez is as actually made for the city uh he's so electric and so exciting and if he can just stop swinging it pitches in the dirt I, I think you know he'll <laughs> I think he could be just a, a magnetic player uh and I love Lindor I mean I think I think there are some pieces and and Alonzo gets the city in a goofy kind of almost Gary Carter like way um so I, I feel like I feel like there are some pieces uh you know that that are that are in place but anyway we'll we'll see if we're lucky enough for history to repeat itself Oh, it's it's going to happen sooner or later. It has to. There's no way this is going to be. And I, I better knock on wood while I say this. But there's no way this is going to be a Red Sox or a Cubs level drought. I, I just they're too close. No, I, I'm, 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 I, I think we're, I'm confident we're going to win a World Series in the 2020s. Yeah. <laughs> oh, OK. All right. We're going to we're going to nail it down to the decade. I, I, yeah. I, I appreciate your optimism. Um, I, I'm, the, I'm really I'm, I'm an optimist. I'm an optimism. Ah, blah, 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 I can't get it out. I'm an optimistic Mets fan myself. And uh, yeah, I, I, I do hope that that they're close and it feels like they're close and it feels like they have the motivation to get there finally after the, the last ownership group. But yeah, time will tell, I guess. Yes. Yes, indeed. Nick, I can't thank you enough for coming on. This was uh, a lot of fun. Everybody, of course, again, if you haven't watched Once Upon a Time in Queens, it's on ESPN+. Plus. I believe it's on demand. You can check that out anywhere that you, you get your streaming services. Uh, the book is out. You check out anywhere that sells books. It's Once Upon a Time in Queens. And we will be keeping an eye out for the uh, the extras, the uh, the cut extras. We want to see the director's cut. Yeah, well, I mean, speaking of, speaking of ownership, we really didn't have time in the series to get into the ownership issue. Uh, yeah. But we have there's there's quite a lot of ownership talk in the in the book, because awesome. in this in the summer of 86, you know, Doubleday bought the team in 1980. And that's what we were all told. Hey, Doubleday, his grandfather was Abner Doubleday. And he's a, guy, <laughs> he's a lovable old guy with a lot of money. It wasn't that old. But and and he knows that he knows nothing about baseball and he's not going to be involved. And then, uh, you know, he's this other guy, uh, you know, who's up there with him. And it's like, well, who's this guy? And <laughs> and gradually uh, and, and during the summer of 86 is when it all went down, um, you know, Doubleday for complicated business reasons, had to sell the team from Doubleday Publishing to himself. And because it was being sold, someone else had a right of first refusal. And that someone else said, uh-uh, I want in on this and and I'm going to be your co-owner now. And it was not a marriage made in heaven. And, um, you know, uh, as we say in the film and it's in the book, too, but much more in, in the book, uh, Doubleday was so upset by what happened that he did not attend the World Series parade. We all remember that Dwight Gooden didn't make the parade because he had uh, personal issues and, and, you know, drugs. But uh, the fact that Doubleday didn't go to the parade, it's almost incomprehensible that the owner of the team didn't go. And it's because in November of 86, the co-ownership began and, and, and Nelson was not happy about it. No. And I think that pretty much lasted until he left until he left. Oh, the yeah. Team. And then he, and then when he left in 2003 and he sold his, oh, you know, yeah. his part, uh, he made some quite. <laughs> oh, those very, are the best. Those Don't... great remarks as he's heading out the door. Oh, we got to put those up on on city field walls somewhere. We got to put that on a plaque. 
<laughs> Run for the hills, boys. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, even if it's just the end, like make people look it up and be like, oh, well, what's this from? Make them look yeah. it up and be like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, oh, we yeah, could have a whole yeah. other show dedicated to the uh, ownership talk. And that's well, well no, I mean, let's <laughs> let's look forward. You know, it, it, it's, all, it's good times. Man. Good times are here. I will say so I asked uh, and this isn't in the book because it was such a cinematic thing. I asked Joe McElvain, uh, okay. you know, during our interview with Joe McElvain, I said, you know, Mets win the World Series October of 1986, November of 1890, new ownership group. And they've never won a World Series again. Is that a coincidence? And he just laughed and laughed and laughed and said, no comment. You know, and, <laughs> so, you know, I, it, it, it does matter. I guess the bottom line is it does matter who the owner is. And I'm very, very bullish on our new ownership. Oh, I'm with you there. Oh, 100%. I think... Um you know, I think they've got a lot of work cut out for them, not just on the field, organizationally. There's a, a culture that needs to be improved within the organization. We've heard the, the horror stories there. We, we won't get into here, of course, but um, I think that he has the right vision to, to, to bring this team up to snuff in, in every facet. And, uh, and you just have to hope that yeah. it, it takes place sooner rather than later. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's hope. Anyway, thank you for having me, Tim. It was uh, such a pleasure to be here. Oh, likewise, man. And I can't wait to see you. We'll see you next month at the uh, the Queens Baseball Convention at Mulcahy's in Wansaw, Long Island on November 13th. Yes, can't wait. See you then. I to, oh, I can't wait, man. And quick shout out to, to Keith and, and, and Mark Healy for, for inviting us. And uh, yeah, really, just I can't wait. It's going to be a really good time. All right, everybody, you know where to find us, um, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Definitely follow Nick. Nick, where can everybody find you on social media if they don't follow oh, you? Oh, well, I, look, I try. I, I think <laughs> I don't even know what it's called. It's probably called Nick Davis Prods uh, on Twitter. Uh, I think you know. you're right. I will pull yeah. it up just to just to be okay. sure. Yeah, oh. I, I'm not I'm not so good on, on the Twitter, as we say in my generation, but I, I'll 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 try. Oh, man, I, I didn't really start using it until I started blogging in 20 late 2016 i never really used it before then yeah and i wish i wish i kept it that way oh this place can get crazy sometimes yeah it can get nasty but um but it's yes, also it's useful and and I've, I've noticed you know i've engaged with a few people who have had very specific questions or problems with the film um and it you know you can conduct yourself civilly and and no. with respect and you're respecting people and they're respecting you then you can actually make progress and get some information across and uh and have good good times oh there's certainly room room for that and it goes on all the time just oh man some people are just very unhappy <laughs> but that's all there <laughs> yes. um yeah you know and it is nick davis prods by the way at nick okay. davis prods on twitter <laughs> okay, good, and good. uh so yeah, everybody, we'll see you. We'll see you next time. We'll be back next week with another episode, hopefully with some uh, new Mets stuff to discuss and uh, a World Series champion to also talk about, I'm sure. And uh, Nick, thank you so much again. We hope to have you back soon. You're very welcome, Tim. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. Let's go Mets. We'll see you next time. Peace. <laughs>